This is The Space Shot, episode 311 for March 21st, 2018. The Centennial Series, episode 1, Red Canyon, part 2 of my conversation with Barry Hamilton. I'm John Mulnix. I don't have any history or news for you today. Instead, let's dive right into part two of my conversation with Red Canyon Engineering and Software CEO, Barry Hamilton. Enjoy. The other missions that the company's been involved with, can you talk a little bit about those? I mean, up to even today, you know, it was announced that Red Canyon's going to be supporting Dream Chaser, right? Which I'm really excited to see oh, that fly. It, so I'm, that just brought goosebumps. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited about that program. Yeah, so you know we bounced between eight and fifteen people uh, between kind of 2001 and 2006 or seven, and the program that really was a catalyst for our growth. Thanks again, Lockheed, uh, was the Orion program. Yeah. And so we were on them with Pepper Hewitt. Shout out to Pepper. Um, she's direct with Lockheed now, but uh, there's no way we would have been able to do anything uh, on Orion without her being on our team. Um, she's uh, she's like a Atlo, uh, either assistant director now or director of Atlo for Orion. Um, so she was on the proposal team. Lockheed basically introduced her, Michelle Butsky. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, to us and she came onto our team and when we were still competing against Boeing for Orion and um, I remember when we won that we all the indicators were we were not going to win and I was watching from my house and this I was living in Wash Park at the time I was, uh, I was watching from my house on the NASA channel and literally I was jumping up on the couch when we, <laughs> we won so that program literally brought us from that kind of 10 to 15 up to, you know, kind of the, um, you know, 45, 50, 55 folks um, and uh, really kind of changed the trajectory of, of Red Canyon. And I also in um, 2004, I hung up my software cleats, so to say. And uh, I, you know, I was still at that time. I, I was finishing up um, some work with Ball Aerospace on uh, a program called Deep Impact, which impacted a comet. Yeah, Temple One. I did yeah. a podcast a little while ago. Oh, about okay. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I just realized um, at that time, um, um, Michelle decided to go a, a different direction, and so uh, I needed to focus on uh, building the business, and and you know, and I, and I kind of had to give up on. Um, you know, billing out to our clients at 60 hours a week and uh, focus on the business. And I think that those two uh, things really helped us um, change from, you know, kind of that 10 to 15 up to, you know, we're about 60 to 65 today. We've been as high as 80, um, but, you know, it's aerospace and we have to, what we do is we, we build things and once we build them and launch them, we got to go find some more cool things to build. Well, and that's one of the things that NASA's really been making a priority is you know small business um, whether whether they're contracting whether they're investing in small business the um, SBIR small uh, small business innovation, innovation research research yeah. and then it, just the amount of contracts that go to small businesses that people don't really understand that Colorado you might think of the big you know Lockheed Martin ULA ball 
But there's hundreds of other smaller companies that are supporting NASA that are supporting bigger companies. So, oh, yeah. And I wish we had the actual numbers because, you know, the amount <clears throat> of small business employees uh, is huge. And, and, and definitely, you know, the ecosystem here, which uh, is obviously facilitated by the large primes, um, you know, but is, uh, you know, very, very much supported by the small companies and, you know, the large company, you know, it's, it's a, um, a mutually beneficial, beneficial relationship because they really couldn't do it without us and we couldn't do it without them. It's good to have that symbiosis for yeah. sure. So for Dream Chaser, uh, Red Canyon is going to be involved with the flight software, independent verification and validation. Can you talk about what that means? Absolutely. <laughs> so um, one reason we were such a, a good fit for this uh, was because we've been doing this type of work for Lockheed for the last 20 years. Um, we, we've both developing flight software, so we actually develop it, requirements, design, code, implementation, and test. Um, and then we also would test it for them. So we were doing verification and validation for Lockheed. Um, now, kind of the difference between what we were doing for Lockheed and what we we're doing for Dream Chaser is at Lockheed, we were kind of, the, it's called little I, because we were embedded with them um, and we were kind of part of their team. The big I is we're kind of an outside firm coming in for, for Sierra Nevada and um, we're doing uh, a complete uh, review of their flight software. Their flight software is developed by several uh, subs, but the main one is Draper Labs. And Draper Labs is a, a great organization. They're out of Massachusetts. They've been doing this for years. They, you know, they worked on shuttle, they worked on uh, ISS. And um, so what we go in is we make sure are the requirements what like the software specifications say that they need. We look at all the requirements. We look at the design. Uh, we review every line of code. Um, and then we oversee all of the tests, uh, unit tests, um, verification tests, validation tests. So what we're, what we're really helping Sierra Nevada and NASA do is do an independent check to make sure that the flight software is going to run the vehicle as they expect it to, and it will perform the functions that they need it to. And one of the most critical aspects of that is safety. Yeah. How do we keep humans safe? First of all, how do we keep the vehicle safe? Second of all, or probably ISS safe, second of all, and then the vehicle safe, third of all. Um, so. Uh, the Dream Chaser vehicle is, looks like a mini shuttle, for those yeah. that don't know. It's the only vehicle that will land horizontally that will access space station. And they're planning on bringing up supplies, experiments, and then it has to dock with the International Space Station. Um, so that is probably the biggest thing where we'll go a little bit deeper on is to make sure that um, uh, it's it's doing what it's supposed to be doing there because we don't want to impact the ISS. And then the next most critical phase is EDL, entry, descent, and landing. And that's when it's going to be landing. And, you know, human safety is very minimal there. Yeah, it, it could land on a human, but it's small chance. Odd, odds are <laughs> highly unlikely. Um, 
and uh, but ma- mainly that's you know to keep the vehicle safe, to keep the cargo safe that we're bringing back down. Well, in the cargo horizontal landing versus like a splashdown, there's more types of science that can be brought back Absolutely. just because it's a gentler landing. As Absolutely. It were. So do you, I mean, have you ever been involved with anything like that? Just since we're kind of getting on that subject, payloads that are coming back. I just kind of thought of this. You know, we, we bid on a contract with Boeing, uh, bets was, was what that was called. And okay. that was, uh, on ISS. Um, we were, I think we were second on that one. Uh, but we haven't. And then we we're on a program with Teledyne Brown out of Houston where they're doing that. But some of those task orders that are coming out and typically, you know, we're on what's called IDIQ contracts, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. And they're usually like five year contracts. And what the customer will do, and this is what we do with Lockheed, they'll say, hey, Red Canyon, we need a stress engineer to do uh, analysis of our heat shield. Or like on Remus with Teledyne Brown, they'll, they'll say, we need rats for this experiment. Well, that's definitely not what Red Canyon does, right? But there are some other aspects on that program where you know they may need some software development. Okay. But I would love to, to get involved with that, but that's not something that we have any past performance on yet. Okay. Yeah. It's just always something I've been interested in, just the, you know, learning about the shuttle and I always heard of like those protein crystal growth experiments. Yeah. And like I always just kind of you know, like it was mentioned on every flight, so I didn't even really think anything of it. And then I dove deeper into it and it was like, whoa, this is really cool. So the payloads that go up to station, you know, that could be brought back with Dream Chaser just sound like they're a whole nother level Absolutely. that we just haven't had yeah. since the shuttle retired. So we were up at uh, Sierra Nevada last week for our monthly uh, review meeting, status meeting uh, of the IV and V uh, flight software contract. And um, I was in one of their buildings in their front lobby and I saw two boxes, you know, let's call them three foot a cube, uh, so pretty big, and they had BioServe on them. And BioServe is at CU. And for my senior project, uh, and Dr. Marv Lutch has led BioServe for years and he's no longer with us, but he was such an inspiration to me when I was at CU. Um, I wrote an artificial intelligence program to calculate the nominal amounts in this multidimensional space of organisms for a lunar base. So how many pounds of algae do you need, you know, and, and how many catfish and how many chickens and, and other, you know, plants, um, and then how many humans. And so, you know, you'd start off in this multidimensional space and then go from there and calculate what is the inputs and outputs for that giving starting criteria. Um, and that's another, you know, area or um, that was another effort that I did that really drove me to software because I okay. just that was fascinating to me and um, it was so much fun. Um, but, you know, that kind of circled me back is here I am in Sierra Nevada's, you know, lobby. And here these BioServe boxes are that are going to fly on the Dream Chaser. And then, you know, I was working in that department, you know, whatever, 25, 26, 27 years ago. <laughs> it's fun how things come full circle like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the simulation for what for like the catfish for the algae, was that for like a closed system life support then? Okay. Closed ecological life support system. Yeah, cells is what we called it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, like for me, I mean, that's kind of been in pop culture 
recently-ish. Do you watch The Expanse? Oh, I love The Expanse. So like the whole the whole <laughs> thing with the station where it's like a cascading effect with the station, how one part failed and it wasn't just the plants, it was everything else right. that was tied in with that. Yeah. What do you think the future would be, not to get too off topic here, but for you know longer duration human space flight, what do you think they're going to have to take for life support? Do you think it's going to be something that incorporates? Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to have to bring, first of all, you're going to have to have artificial gravity, right? And so, because humans just don't do well without that gravity. And, you know, the, the experimentation and, the, uh, you know, the, who's the... Um, uh, the twin that just Scott came back. Kelly. Yeah, yeah, Scott Kelly and, you know, the telomeres on the end of his DNA are changing, his DNA is changing. And um, and no matter how much exercise you do, you just, you need the gravity, right? Yeah, the thing that stuck with me from his book was when he was talking about his swollen stumps for feet, which oh. just... Yeah, I didn't yeah, know about that. It, it's an interesting read, but yeah, the, just describing the physical changes of being in weightlessness for a year and then coming back and just, you know, laying on a bed and having it basically burn your skin. Wow. Because you're not used to that contact. Uh-huh. Artificial gravity, I think, would be the the biggest yeah. thing. So number Besides one, radiation. <laughs> so number one, we need that. And then, yeah, you're going to have to bring organi- organisms with you that uh, can help, you know, breathe out uh, some oxygen while you're breathing out carbon dioxide, right? And, and getting that little ecosystem going. Um, if, if we're going to do long term, I, yeah, I think we're going to have to have that. Any future plans for AI stuff like that for you personally? I mean, I know you're doing the business stuff, but do you ever want to dabble in that anymore? Uh, and what? In like artificial intelligence for like life support systems oh, or yeah. just anything. Oh, absolutely. Okay. In fact, we had a phase two SBIR, Small okay. Business Innovative Research Grant with uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory for something very similar. It was um, autonomous, autonomous mission management of, uh, of uh, satellites. Um, and this is mainly for the Europa mission. Okay. And as you know, it takes a while to get a signal back and forth. Uh, I think, you know, Mars is 20 to 30 minutes. Jupiter is 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And um, this is so that the satellite, if it gets in an off nominal situation, uh, that means it's in trouble, right? It can't perform to w- what we expected it to, but can still perform some of the science. Um, maybe you're collecting 50% of the science uh, while you're waiting for a human to get back in the loop. And it's kind of on its way to helping these uh, robotic explorers become self-healing. Maybe they can fix themselves as they diagnose the problem. So that sounds really cool. that's definitely on the, that road to AI. I mean, the, the frontiers that that opens up, you know, humans can't really go everywhere in the solar system. The right. time scales are just too long right now. But having, you know, if one of the little rovers knew that something was up with its wheel mm-hmm. and being able to change that out on its right. own and know that, hey, I've got a spare, pop it off, pop that old one off, put the new one on and get on the way. That sounds like it would be a great just not only for returning more science, but a better investment, too. Right. Because it, you know, once you get that underlying technology, it could be applied to multiple different missions, not just one rover. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of Europa, so we're we're uh, helping JPL develop flight software for Europa. So we have employees out there. Um, we help them with phase A system studies. So I'm very excited about Europa. Same here. But 
We just, uh, another SBIR, uh, we just did the phase one proposals were due about a week and a half ago. And we were working with this uh, professor at University of Maryland who uh, his, his expertise is seismology. And he does seismology instruments all over the earth and like up in um, the North and South Poles. Um, but we worked with him on a, a seismology instrument that could go on Europa uh, could potentially land there right and and then what we were working on was the algorithms of you know how many samples do we take per second how do we it's so much data like how, how do we filter the data get rid of the noise and and just download what we need because of the limited processing power on the satellite the limited downlink telemetry bandwidth um, so that that problem space is very fascinating to me yeah well the deep space network what is it three main dishes pretty the three big dishes and yep. yep the size of those dishes communicating with the tiny little <laughs> spacecraft all throughout on beyond our solar system now right that yeah, to me is Voyager. just yeah, yeah that to me is just mind-blowing that the the amount of power we're receiving from voyager one and two right in those dishes is just infinitesimal yeah it's amazing so that's for Europa. That sounds even cooler because that's always been like there's all you know there's been the the rumors of a Europa mission and the, now that it's starting to finally yeah get some traction that's going to be probably the coolest. Mission the only thing I, I wish that this mission had was something that would was going to go underneath the surface, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait for the next one. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully there'll be more in the future. Right. <laughs> so you know. We, we've talked a lot generally about the work that Red Canyon's done, you know, the work that you've done. What would you, if you had, you know, a couple pieces of, of advice for students or for anybody that's looking to get into the industry, what would those be? Uh, tenacity, be tenacious. Um, don't take no for an answer. And if you run into a roadblock, uh, find another path. And, and that's if you're looking for a job looking for an internship, if you want to start a company, um, you, you know, if, if that, you know, you, you got to find what your passion is and you have to go after it, right? Um, just like you, you, you have a political science major, but you want to be involved in this industry, exactly. right? And so, um, and, you know, the serendipity of how things happen when you, when you follow that path is just amazing. And I always say that um, luck is where hard work meets opportunity, right? Um, and so I've always been lucky and, and I, I love it. I love that, that, you know, I'm just a very lucky individual, but I have worked my butt off, Yeah, you know? Um, so that's one thing. And then I would say, uh, obviously, you know, um, paying attention to your grades, studying, uh, getting real world experience. You know, uh, I'm on the, the advisory board of the Colorado space grant consortium, um, that's a great program to go fly satellites, uh, fly payloads on sounding rockets out of Wallops Island. Yeah. Um, so uh, reach out to Brian Sand Sanders at um, Space Grant Consortium. It's actually at most of the schools in the state. So um, uh, that, that's a great program. Um, anything else? Uh, first robotics for like high school students. Anything real world. If I see that on someone's resume, they will rise to the top. Um, because I know that they have real world experience that yeah. be, can be applicable to what Red Canyon's trying to do. Um, you know, 
networking is huge. So make sure you're going out and and reaching out to people. Use LinkedIn out there, students. Get on LinkedIn. Start building your network on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is an, is an amazing tool uh, to, to utilize. Um, so yeah, I guess those are kind of some of the top Great things. pieces of advice, yeah. yeah. And LinkedIn, that's you know something that I think a lot of people in the era of Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram kind of gloss over that, oh, that's the social network for my parents. Interesting. But yeah. I don't okay. really, you know, I, I, I wish more people would realize that's not the case because I yeah. agree there's great content to not only follow, but just for being able to connect with people is great, uh, I think LinkedIn is an amazing tool and maybe I'm showing my age because of that, but you can tailor your feed yep. to exactly who you want to hear from. You don't have to, you know, get rid of the people you don't want to hear from, but you can, and I want to hear about space. So I am calling my list on, you know, mm-hmm. getting feeds from Richard Branson and Elon Musk and, you know, my, my local uh, competitors and colleagues. Um, and so that's, that's an amazing tool. Um, finding out who knows somebody at a company that I want to reach into and saying, Hey, can you, can you give me a a soft intro? Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it, I, and then I use it for, uh, our social media for Red Canyon. Um, I get way more bang for my buck out of that than like Facebook or Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I, 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 I use it a lot. I'll have to follow you on LinkedIn. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, Barry, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, John. Thanks to everyone at Red Canyon for coordinating this chat. I'm looking forward to having Barry on the show again in the future. Since you're here and I've got your ear, give me a minute of your time. I'd be incredibly grateful if you could share the podcast with your friends and family. Tag one of them and let them know about your favorite episode. I'd also really appreciate it if you could venture into the Apple Podcasts app or your podcast app of choice and leave a review for The Space Shot. A steady stream of reviews helps ensure The Space Shot is more visible in the Apple Podcasts app. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Mulnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search The Space Shot or check out the link in the show notes and you'll find me. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.